History happened everywhere, a random place, a random time, and a topic pulled from the hat. The challenge? Find the fascinating, uncover the unexpected, and share the stories. You're listening to... History happened everywhere. You're listening to History Happened Everywhere. I'm Pete Goddard. I'm here in the studio with the chicken soup to my soul, Mr. Ryan Weir. Chicken soup? The soothing balm. Felt like maybe I'm the noodle. (laughs) You are a noodle. (laughs) Without further ado, last week the Dursleder gave us zoology in Chile from 1945 to 2022. So, Ryan, have you got exciting things for us today? I could kiss the (laughs) Dursleder. You know, sometimes it's really tough and it throws up some real difficult ones. This couldn't have given me a better time, place and topic combination. Well, that's excellent. I have loved the research for this (laughs) and I really hope that everybody enjoys today's episode because today's episode of History Happened Everywhere is going to get academic. We're going to study eight categories of the Chilean animal kingdom. That's right. We're going to head into the wild and wonderful world of Chile. We're going to meet some strange and exotic creatures, get up and close and personal with things that fly, walk, slither, and crawl. We're going to meet the cutest of cats, the largest of birds, the freakiest of fish. It's going to get hot. It's going to get cold. (laughs) (laughs) It seems to be doing everything at the moment. It's going to be a zoological safari of the wildest kind. So, Pete, strap on your binoculars, grab your notepad and pen, and let's wander into the rainforest to see what we can find. All right, fetch me my safari suit. So, yes, welcome to the land of street food, of football and red wine. This is a country of extreme beauty and startling contrast. From icy glaciers to dusty deserts, from monumental mountains to long winding beaches, this is the land of poets, the spine of South America. Welcome to Chile. Rumba. Okay, yeah, so officially, this is La Republica de Chile, or the Republic of Chile. So it's Chile in Spanish, Chile in English. Okay. I'm going to use both because I just love the word Chile. <laughs> it has a more flamboyance yeah. to it, doesn't it? Yeah. Where are you going? I'm going to Chile. Chile. <laughs> Orientation. Right. Where is Chile? I know uh, I'm in South America somewhere. That's exactly right. The most western part of South America. It is a narrow strip of land, 2,700 miles long. That's 4,300 kilometers from Peru in the north to Cape Horn at the tip of South America. It is the southernmost country in the world and the closest to Antarctica. That's enormous. It's truly large. In fact, only Russia and Brazil are slightly longer. So Chile is squashed between the Andes mountain range to the east and then to the left of the Pacific Ocean. In fact, it's so narrow that the average width of the country is just 110 miles. Oh, wow. Yeah, the smallest width being just nine miles. So you can be, I'm at the other end of the country, nine miles away, or 2,000 miles away, (laughs) depending which way you're going. (laughs) Right, indeed. So you add all that up, that equates to 756,000 square kilometres, that's 292,000 square miles, which is one and a half times the size of France. Chile also claims 200 miles offshore, including one you might have heard of, Easter Island. 
Oh, really? That Chilean? <laughs> it is officially, yeah, sort of Chilean. Those are the ones with the big stone heads. It also claims 1,250,000 square kilometres, that's 480,000 square miles of Antarctica, although that is currently suspended. So, Wow, I, I did think it. Antarctica was one of those nobody-owns-it places. They're just having a punt. Yeah, the Antarctic Treaty, I think, suspended that for that very reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, geography-wise, because of its close relationship to the Andes, Chile is almost mostly mountainous. But it also has everything else. It has desert, forest, uh, and sub-Antarctic areas. So, uh, the Atacama Desert, you might well have heard of, it is one of the driest places in the world. Less than 12 millimetres of rain per year on average. With some areas going hundreds of years without any rain whatsoever. In fact, that's a reason why over 280 7,000-year-old mummies have been found in the most remarkable condition. That's 2,000 years older than the Egyptian mummies. Wow. So they were doing mummification long before the Egyptians. Uh, so the Hoyos del Salado is the world's highest lake at 6,000 metres. That's 21,000 feet high. Chile is also located along the Pacific Ring of Fire, so called because of the major faults in the ocean floor. Those faults result in 36 active volcanoes in Chile, earthquakes and tsunamis as well. So the country is bombarded by the Wobbling ring constantly. By the sounds of it. Was that what Johnny Cash was singing about? <laughs> yeah. A homage to that region. <laughs> Chile holds a record for the largest recorded earthquake. In 1960, the Valdivia earthquake placed around about 9.4 to 9.6 on the moment magnitude scale, uh, which killed around about 1,000 people. Wow. I suppose you want to know about the people. I always want to know about the people. Well, the people are the place. That was really wise. I like that. The people are the place. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> uh, so 18.5 million people. Ethnically, that's a mix of Europeans and indigenous peoples. 11% of the population are belonging to nine major indigenous groups. But Chile is the only country in Latin America which does not recognise them in their constitution. Oh, really? Yeah, which is... Saddening? Saddening, indeed. One third of all people, that's 6.2 million of them, live in the capital and the largest city of Santiago. Famous Chileans? I know you love this bit. I do. You want to know a famous I Chilean? Do, I really do. Do you know any? I couldn't. I was just thinking and came up totally empty. Empty-handed. Well, you might know a certain guy who played Oberon Martel. Or Dingerin, a.k.a. The Mandalorian. Oh! Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal's a Chilean, is he? He's a Chilean. Oh, well, that's interesting. There you go. So the national anthem is called the National Anthem of Chile. Nice. Gets Says the job done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or national song. Snappy. Right? Or how pure Chile is your blue sky. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Adopted in 1828. It's since had uh, gone through several, several iterations. It's had new lyrics and a new melody, at which point I wonder... It's just a different song. A different song. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so here the it is. The drums are the same. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Oh, it's upbeat. I like it. A little toodaloo-doo. Oh, yeah, I like this one. It's got that Latin America feel, is not it? A little flourish. It's got twirls in it, as it were. Mm. I think it's the best one we've had. This so is far. a cracker, actually, I, I have really to say. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. 
So how pure chili is your blue sky? The Very answer, pure indeed. Incredibly pure. Right. Here we go. Here we go. Chili facts. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, is that all chili jokes? I'm, I'm more inconsiderate about facts, to be honest. Uh, chili is the fifth largest producer of red wine. Ooh. Would you like to join me in a glass of Malbec? Oh, Malbec is a delicious <laughs> wine that I love. Here so we go. Yes. Okay, first the cork. <laughs> Famous cork sound. <laughs> okay, here we go. Let's have a little look at the label. Yeah. This is a, a Louis Felipe Edwards Chilean Malbec from mm-hmm. 2020. That's right. Uh, Which is in our time period. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. It says, our family is passionately devoted to producing top quality wines from carefully tended vines, up to 80 years old. There you go. So let's have a little pour. Right, let's have a little look, see at what we've got here. Okay. Do you this want to give a us a little uh, wine taste? Deep, it's a deep ruby red. You swirl the liquid around, it's got good legs, it sticks to the side of the glass nicely. Where does all this come from? I did a, did a class once. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I can't smell or taste it, but I can know uh... how to pretend I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well look, salut. Salut. Oh, that is delicious. It is delicious. Genuinely delicious. That is, I'm going to call that mm. yummy with top notes of mm-mm-mm. <laughs> Um, that's why i didn't get invited to the second wine class (laughs) right uh other chile facts 90 percent of the world's potatoes originate from chile oh really yeah do you want a potato (laughs) (laughs) i mean i'm not against it (laughs) chile is has one of the only governments in the world with an official department dedicated to researching ufos that that must appeal to you your conspiracy instincts. Hence at the top of my chili fact list. <laughs> Chileans often have a third meal of the day, Pete, which they call once, which translates to 11, which is confusing because they typically serve it around between 5 and 9 p.m. All in all, very generally confusing. <laughs> <laughs> so they have dinner is what you're telling me. <laughs> well, it can be a replacement for dinner, uh-huh. but it is its own thing. Right. Once. We're once. all going to have once. And you have that daily. Yeah, as part so- of your three meals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling to see the once part called okay. 11 between 5 and 9 <laughs> okay I shall visit Chile and I'll be like yeah. have you eaten I, I don't know <laughs> it's once. too confusing uh, right food includes bread jam meat cheese avocado cake coffee tea regular stuff Chile's favourite street food is a sandwich called sandwich de potito a potato sandwich well I was wondering because you speak a little Spanish don't you a little right do you know what potito means uh, more well, small. Well, the, the ito is, indicates smallness. <laughs> it does. Uh, small petite. <laughs> yeah, some some peoples. <laughs> petito means backside or bum ah. or butt. So that is a butt sandwich. Oh, okay. bum sandwich. How hungry do I have to be exactly? <laughs> right. Originated in the mid nineteenth century as a snack to be eaten on long train journeys. You'd get out of the station. There'd be a guy selling some food there. You'd buy yourself a, a little bum sandwich. It's now sold mainly outside of football stadiums. It's like a football snack. It's described as rich and chewy. It's served in a maraquita, which is a like, essentially a French bread. You know, French loaf, right. but a tiny little like a crusty roll. Okay, and it's lathered with mayonnaise and with ketchup it's filled with fried onions and meat from the rectum of a cow hence the name the bum part now (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was wondering but it became very suddenly clear so apparently the strong smell of the rectum (laughs) that it produces when cooking is a deterrent for a lot of you know cow rectum virgins 
Right. Which I can claim to be one of, I, <laughs> despite what they say. <laughs> but it is said to be quite delicious. Um, some people have not just one, but they go back and they'll have like a couple more. So I thought, let's give it a try. All right. Well, let's go rectum. Sadly, <laughs> cow rectum isn't something you can buy for human consumption here in the UK. Oh. Yes, I tried oh, to buy no. it. <laughs> yeah. But pun intended. <laughs> After some research, I did discover that cow intestine is considered a suitable alternative. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> so, For a moment there, I thought I was going to miss out on the digestive tract of a cow. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, Peter, hold your horses. I'm, well, I'll hold my horse and my cattle. <laughs> Are you ready to get your mouth around a sandwich de intestino? I am. <laughs> right, take, I think. Take that one I'll then. I'll take this. I'll take the other on one. There. Okay, I've I'm already the... pre-ketched up and mayoed it. Oh, nice. Okay, well, it just looks like a delicious bun with delicious... I'm not actually going to look too closely now I think about it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, washing the intestine before I cooked it was disgusting. Cooking it, even worse. <laughs> <laughs> the well. smell, I had all the windows open today, still smell it. Oh. Like it's burned into my But nostril. it doesn't smell now, or does it? I can't smell it. <laughs> I'm trying to just cover it by the onions, I think. Oh, I see. All okay. right, you Here ready? We go. Yeah. Here we go. together, all right? Yeah. Yeah. That's all right, then. I feel a little sick. Like, my throat's closed up. Is that because you know what it is, though? Yes. <laughs> and I saw it and cooked it. Yeah, but that's probably a different kettle of fish. I filleted that intestine to get rid of everything that I thought was the most gross. <laughs> and was left with only the juiciest cuts. <laughs> mm. Prime colon. <laughs> oh, it's all right, huh? Do you want to look inside? Yeah, it looks pretty bad. <laughs> but it tastes okay. So I'm going to pop the lid back on and keep going. I think you should keep going while I give you some history. I, I'm very interested in history. That's why we do this podcast. Oh, oh I just saw right. what you just pulled out with your teeth. <laughs> Chew it, my man. Oh. I like it. <laughs> All right, here we go. Some history, Pete. 18,500 years ago, hmm. first human settlements. 10,000 years ago, indigenous people settle in valleys and along the coast. The Incan Empire decides they're going to head south and they head into northern Chile and they start to fight the local people, the Mapuche. 1520. Europeans arrive. Hurrah! <laughs> <laughs> Always good news <laughs> for the local population. Yeah. Uh, specifically the Spanish. Specifically Ferdinand Magellan, mm. who found the Southern Passage, now known as the Magellan Strait. 1535, Diego de Almagro and his conquistadors, they mm -hmm. travel from Peru into Chile looking for gold. And within five years, they found the city of Santiago. Chile becomes part of the Spanish Empire. Sorry, do you mean they found as in they created and founded it or mm -hmm. they discovered it? They founded, yes. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Major insurrections occur for the next 150 years. And in 1683, Spain decides the only thing they're going to do to like gain some leeway over these angry people is to abolish slavery. And so that somewhat pacifies them, but things remain tense. 
1808, Napoleon, he installs his brother, Joseph, as the new Spanish king. The colony of Chile sees this as an opportunity to seek their own independence. And so, two years later, in 1810, Chile becomes an autonomous republic. National Day is still celebrated, in fact, on the 18th of September in honour of that. Two years later, the population of Chile is 259,000 people, 88% of them being Spanish, 10% being indigenous. By 1818, Chile finally becomes an independent republic, and then over the next 70 years, Chile expands its territory by over a third and becomes one of the highest income countries in South America, where, in fact, it remains today. So 1891, civil war, and democracy is introduced. Between 1920 and 1970s, however, voting in these democratic elections results in a veritable roundabout of presidents and military coups, in fact, as they keep trying to sort of reform the last party's efforts, but failing to do so. So it's a bit of a disaster between that period. 1972, economic depression hits and banking, copper, coal, iron and steel industries are all nationalised. One year later, inflation is out of control, Pete, and uh, the economy is crippled, which is not helped by an almost simultaneous strikes by doctors, teachers, students, truck owners and miners. On the plus side, I can see why the students might go on strike, given that the teachers have gone on strike. Otherwise, you're just showing up to an empty classroom. But that's as close to a general strike as you're going to get, isn't it? It really is, yeah. And so by 11th of September 1973, a military coup happens again in Chile, uh, this time supported by the United States of America, uh, and is led by a guy called General Pinochet. Yes. And uh, he manages to overthrow that government, resulting in the then-president committing suicide. Pinochet takes control of the country and over a period of 15 years his reign sees the systematic murder, torture and imprisonment of 40,018 people for political reasons. Can I just say I'm against all those things? 1988, Pinochet is voted out, but only after a coalition of 17 political parties got together to try and get him out. 2006, the first female president is elected, and in 2010, an earthquake strikes. It is the fifth largest ever recorded. More than 500 people are killed, mostly from a tsunami, and over a million people lose their homes. This was also the year 2010, coincidentally. You'll be aware of the rescue of 33 trapped miners. Oh, right. That, remember, yeah, hit I the remember international that. news? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, 2019 to 2020, we're getting close to our time uh, as we are in 2022. Countrywide protests return. Hooray. This time, people are angry at the increased costs of living. It starts with the uh, Metro increasing their ticket prices and goes from there. And finally, in 2021, a new constitution is voted in and Gabriel Boric, a leftist former student protest leader he becomes the country's youngest ever leader and that's where we are today yeah okay well that was really interesting but what i really want to know about ryan is zoology well what is zoology do you know i think it's animals and stuff (laughs) well i looked it up and the dictionary definition said animals and stuff wow i nailed it yeah (laughs) no so uh, the topic isn't animals right the dursleater could have given us animals i think it's even in the Mm dursleater so that could have come up in which case that would have been fairly straightforward but the topic isn't that it's zoology so well what does that mean well zoology is the branch of biology it studies the animal kingdom including evolution, the classification of animals, the habits, distribution of animals, both living and extinct, how they interact with their ecosystems. Basically, it combines biology, psychology, environmental science, and conservation. 
I mean, you animals and stuff is what I would describe that as, but, uh, you know, your mileage may vary. There you go. So a zoologist is someone who studies animals, their origins, their behaviour, diseases, interrelationships with other animals and with humans, classification, their life histories, their habits, their life processes, diseases, relation to the environment, growth and development, genetics, distribution of animals, life processes, studies on animals, and that might include experiments with live animals in controlled or natural environments, they might go out and examine and study dead animals too. So this is a broad, broad topic. Presumably one must specialise. You can't just do all of zoology. Indeed. In fact, I looked it up because I thought, I want to become a Chilean zoologist. (laughs) And on average, you need at least a bachelor's degree. In drama? I don't think that counts. (laughs) Well, maybe. It just says a bachelor's degree and I have that. So I'm, I'm one step in. Yes. Yeah. In terms of salary, I can expect 21,750,000 Chilean pesos. Sounds good. Yeah, that's about 20,000 Great British pounds. Sounds bad. Or 27,000 US dollars a year. Sounds very bad. Well, it's not great, uh, but living expenses in Chile are slightly less than those places, so maybe that's a bit easier. You study all the animals and then you eat them. I mean, that might help with the budget. Yeah. But anyway, for tonight... You and I, we're going to become honorary zoologists. Sweet, we can be zoologesque. Okay, so we've got eight categories ahead of us, and we're going to just work our way through them. You ready for this? I'm ready. All right, so first category, domesticated animals. Dogs and cats are the most popular pet species among Chilean households. Up to 79% own at least one dog. 42% are cat owners. But not just in households. There are street dogs everywhere in Chile. Two and a half million of them, approximately. They are known as Quiltro, and they are considered basically a national treasure. And they are considered to belong to everyone rather than to individuals. That seems a lot more convenient than having your own dog that you have to take to the vet and do all that palaver. That's right. Chileans get together. They build homes on the street corners for them. They make little winter sweaters for them when it gets cold. And in fact, people protested when the government threatened to implement laws which were going to control population growth. But I do want to tell you about one quiltro named Spike. In 2003, at a fair in Lo Prado, a small dog nuzzled up against the leg of a police sergeant and dog trainer called Jose Montaneres. Jose immediately fell in love with this dog's charm and charisma, and he took him home and adopted him, calling him Spike. Now, Jose trained Spike alongside German shepherds, and he took this as a dog show around to local schools. And in 2004, one of the principals of these kindergartens, who happened to also work for the national TV station, suggested that Jose's performing dogs be considered for a television commercial for one of Chile's largest gas companies. Now, the first commercial is filmed, and they just sort of show photos of two dogs, the German Shepherd and Spike. One represented sort of like the more affluent sector of society, and Spike was like the working class. Scruffy street dog. Exactly. Now, after the advert aired, Spike was immediately a hit. So much so that they just dropped the German Shepherds from the adverts, and they just went with Spike. Can you imagine that German Shepherds back in the kennel with the other guys going, oh, could have been someone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, awkward night back in the kennels that night. Uh, but Spike went on to feature in over 30 of this gas company's commercials, playing opposite celebrities and building a fan base. Basically, they, they, his YouTube channel has over a million subscribers. Wow. People love Spike. Later, the advertising agency behind the commercial said that Spike achieved empathy with people, having powerful archetypal meanings for Chileans, making the brand perceived as warm, cheerful, close and innovative. Wow. Well, let me guess then he fell into drug use, trying to sustain <laughs> yeah. his uh, product. Eventually, he became a recluse because he couldn't deal with all the pressures of fame. Uh, and then he ended up uh, ending in a bad way. Not quite. Unfortunately, he did die in 2016, age 14, which is a good age for a dog. Edu Valenzuela was the voice of Spike in the commercials. And he never got to meet him oh. over all of those years. Do you like dogs? I'm very neutral about dogs. All right. Well, do you want to see a picture of the dog? Go show me the picture of Spike. That is an absurdly cute dog. It's, <laughs> it's little eyes are lighting up and he's giving you a like, hey, you're right, mate. Imagine being at a fair and you look down and that's nuzzling up against your leg. That is an insanely charming dog. You'd take him home, wouldn't you? I would. Yeah, in fact, uh, if you're a visitor to Chile and you come across a little dog like Spike, you can adopt them and bring them home as long as you basically fill out the right paperwork and you visit a vet and it goes through the right health exam and vaccinations and stuff. But apparently that's a thing that people do. Beats breeding dogs, doesn't it? Does indeed. So there you go. That's domesticated animals. Thanks, dogs. So let's talk about wild animals. All right. Tigers and lions and bears. Oh my. Oh my. So Chile is home to a fascinating and diverse range of wild animals. There are more than 600 vertebrate species, two dozen of which are considered exotic, which basically means non-native, like introduced to the country. Oh, right. Not exotic like fancy. No, not, ex not as in fancy. No. There are 100 protected areas in Chile, covering a total of 14.5 million hectares, 20% of the country. Oh, that's substantial. Yeah, there's 36 national parks, 49 national reserves, uh, and 3.19% of marine jurisdiction is under protection of conservation, which seems a lot less. There's all that delicious fish in there, isn't it? So <laughs> there's incentives to not do it. Yeah. And so in terms of protected areas, Chile is second place in Latin America and seventh in the world. Pretty good. It's good. Yeah. We need to protect our environment. So the Chile coat of arms it depicts two creatures, the North Andean humal and the Andean condor. So, what is the North Andean humal? I did wonder that. Well, it's the Hippocamelus biscalus. It's got no biscuits. It is a medium-sized deer, and they have antlers that grow up to about 30 centimetres. They live in groups of up to about seven of them, and they live really high up, high altitudes. Um, the highest they've been spotted is 5,000 metres up in the mountains. Wow, that's a pretty good game. Yeah, that's 16,000 feet above sea level. That sounds like quite an average creature to have as your national animal, though. If Chile wanted to change its national animal, I do know a dog that could fit the bill. A charming, charming, <laughs> scruffy little fellow that uh, could peek out from banknotes quite comfortably. But let's talk about the national bird, the Andean condor, or Voltur griffis. 
This is the biggest flying bird. It has a wingspan of five and a half metres. That's this room. <laughs> it's really big, yeah. 15 feet long. They weigh up to 15 kilograms, 33 pounds. They're a big black bird with a ruff of white feathers around their neck. Head is featherless. Principally a scavenger. So they'll fly around until they see like a large carcass, like a deer or, or they some sort of cattle. They'll fly down and nuzzle their head in the into the guts and have themselves a sandwich. The intestinal. <laughs> it nests at heights of five. 5,000 meters or 16,000 feet. They are one of the world's longest living birds. They have a lifespan of over 70 years. Don't get one as an egg unless you plan to live a good long time and look after it. Yeah, in 1970, it was listed as vulnerable on the conservation scale. And in 1989, there was a reintroduction program that was established for the condors. So 22 birds were hatched in zoos in the USA. Then they were brought down to Chile. And eventually, all 22 of these birds were released in the Andes between 1989 and 1992. And so the birds ranged over about uh, an area of 200 square kilometers over that two-year period. And one year later, in 19. 93 they got together and they did like a, a big survey to see how many were left and 19 were still alive oh well that's good and there is no indication that humans were responsible for those three. Oh, that's good so do you think when they transport condor eggs it's just a bigger version of like the egg carton that you get in the supermarket <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so those are the national animals, but there are other animals which are native to Chile and hold a place in their heart. So I'm going to tell you a little about those. So the first I'm going to tell you about is the pudu. The pudu. The pudu. All right, I've never heard of a pudu. What's a pudu? The pudu is the world's smallest deer. Do you want to see a picture of it? I do. Oh, that is insanely cute. Oh my good Lord. How big is that? It's hard to tell, but it's astonishingly cute. So you can get them up to 44 centimetres tall. Oh. So, but mainly they're sort of around about 32 centimetres. Oh, that's adorable. Super small, like a ruler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and up to uh, 85 centimetres, 33 inches long. Why don't I have a herd of these in my house? The poodoo. Yeah. Yeah, they'd be a cute pet, wouldn't they? Uh, they weigh up to 12 kilograms, 26 pounds, and they have antlers that's six centimetres in length. This is basically the deer off the front of the baby sham bottles. That's <laughs> yes, exactly right. So they live very solitary lives, though, and they come together only to mate. Easily frightened, though, Pete, the poodoo barks when it's in fear and bristles and shivers when it's angry. Oh, my Lord. Uh, they are preyed upon by an owl. Wow. The horned owl. I mean, at 30 centimetres high, pretty much a fair game for anything, aren't you? <laughs> You're essentially a snack on legs. Super cute, though. Right, macaroni penguins. What's a macaroni penguin? <laughs> they are a species of penguin with a distinctive yellow crest on its head, like yellow eyebrows. They are 70 centimetres in length and weigh about five and a half kilos, 12 pounds. They are penguins which consume more marine life than any other species of seabird. Just munching their way through the oceans. Perhaps because it spends six months of the year in the sea. In fact, a study in 2009 revealed that macaroni penguins travelled over 10,000 kilometres, that's 6,000 miles, to the central Indian Ocean. They form colonies of up to 100,000 individuals, with an estimated 18 million in total across the planet. That is the most numerous of any penguin. I mean, they're sort of the anti-condor in their respect, aren't they? Yeah. There's a half a dozen condors left and a bajillion of these macaroni penguins. That being said, despite the size of their population, they are still listed on the conservation status as vulnerable. Oh, really? Yeah, which is weird. you think 18 million would be sufficient, right? Well, I'm not a zoologist, so I won't question it. Well, shh, you're an honorary zoologist. So 
sorry, I am a zoologist, and so I endorse this message. Right, next animal, the chinchilla. Oh, I like a chinchilla. You seen a chinchilla? I've before? seen a chinchilla. How would you before? describe a chinchilla? So they're just a just all hair. They are very hairy. Sort of tiny guinea piggy looking things. Yeah. They have the densest fur of all mammals that live on land. The sea otter being the only mammal that has a denser coat. 60 hairs for each follicle. Wow. Yeah, I barely have one hair per follicle. <laughs> uh, they are named after the chincha people who wore its coat, like wore its pelt, its fur. They must have been the pimpinest tribe ever striding around in chinchilla coats. <laughs> Super soft. Yeah. But fur industry is still alive today. One coat requires 150 pelts. Yeah, maybe not. That's not for me. Yeah. I'll leave the chinchilla wearing his own coat. You could, of course, get yourself a domestic chinchilla as a pet. They are incredibly popular. They keep themselves clean by rolling in dust baths and their thick fur resists fleas and ticks. I did. That's where I knew I encountered my first chinchilla in a pet situation. Okay. Perhaps unsurprisingly. <laughs> but they require a lot of exercise. They require uh, dental care because their teeth continue to grow. They also need regulated temperature control because they can't sweat. And they've got 60 hairs per follicle. They must be like, oh, is it hot in there or is it just me? <laughs> yeah. So you've got to really make sure that they're in a controlled environment. Yeah. They are currently listed as endangered on the red list of threatened species. Their population loss is severe with an estimated 90 percent loss over the last 15 years that being said though in 2008 they were listed as critically endangered so in some way it's improved chinchilla comeback chinchilla comeback great name for a film (laughs) a sequel surely (laughs) (laughs) oh is that a new coat oh yeah yeah just got it Mm. is that uh human yeah yeah 100% all natural human oh can I have a touch oh wow it's so rough and sparse did you know humans have just one hair per follicle really Mm. and for the older ones it can be even less than that amazing and did you know you only need one human to make up to 150 coats for chinchillas wow I've always thought about getting one as a pet actually they're so cute and they're so easy to keep all you have to do is every now and then just make them a sandwich out of a cow anus. All right, so Pete, let's talk about wild and wacky. Wow, what a category. Okay, so Chile is home to some unique animals, none more than in Nazca Desventuradas National Park. So on August 24th, 2015, the Chilean government announced the creation of this marine park. It's located 900 kilometers west of the city of Caldera, and it encompasses 300,000 square kilometers. That's 115,000 square miles. But this is in the sea, right? It's in the sea. Because right, I'm thinking park. there wasn't 900 kilometers of west available (laughs) from your earlier description it's in the sea it's a marine park so they've said this area here is now a marine park so we can't fish here we can't do anything it is a preserved area so within that area zoologists have discovered that 72 percent of the species there are found nowhere else in the world wow you look after them some which until 2015 were unknown to science so essentially they kept hoiking things out of the sea go what's this don't know 
What's this one? No, never seen that one. Never seen How about right, this one? Right no, down. that's new. Yeah. Do you want to know some of the ones they found? Go for it. All right. How about a swimming crab? That doesn't sound entirely surprising. Right. Well, it's a crab, but it's evolved legs that aren't really legs. They're paddles. And it just sort of swims around. Oh, that sounds amazing. And I want to see it. <laughs> yeah, okay. I can show you a footage if you like. Here you go. I love it. So hang on. Wait, but why didn't they call it the paddling crab? Or I just the... think that sounds better. <laughs> <laughs> The front crawl crab. Exactly, the crawling crab, the creeping crab. Then there's another crab, the decorator crab. And these crabs wander around on the seafloor, but they hold objects above their heads, like little sponges or shells and things. And that's their attempt at camouflaging themselves. That sounds poor as an attempt to camouflage, if I'm honest. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll show you a picture. What do you think of this? That is, you can do better crab. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. It's that's like to be it's... distinguished with the painter and decorator crab, which you don't, you never see because it never shows up. <laughs> <laughs> under the sea, under the sea, maybe it's better down yeah, stop, where it's worth to take stop it from. Singing. What, what? What's wrong? You have to stop singing. But I can't stop singing. I'm a busking crab. Well, that's all very well, but I am a lawyer crab, and that is a trademark song. My client, Conglomer Crab, has instructed me in matters pertaining to your singing to serve a cease and desist. Cease and desist! Cease and desist. That's a cease, cease and desist crab. I did warn you. But I'm a busking crab. What am I going to sing? Not that. Not unless you want this aquatic attorney taking you to the lowest court in the sea. Fine, I won't sing that song. Somewhere beyond the sea, somewhere cease waiting for desist. me. Cease and desist. Cease and desist. Oh, come on. Not that one as well. I'm afraid so. Okay. I'd like to be... Under the sea. Cease and desist. Cease and desist. Cease and desist. Cease and desist. It's not about what's fair, Mr. Busking Crab. It's about the law. Well, what about that guy then? No, he's permitted. He's a rock lobster. All right, and finally, we're moving out of the marine world and into the rainforest to Ooh. tell you about Darwin's frogs. Well, they're frog frogs, but they're not frog frogs. Oh, here we go. This right? is zoology in action again, This isn't is it? totally zoology in action. You check this out. First discovered by non-native people in 1841 by French zoologist André-Marie Constant de Merel. So he found the frog and he named it after Charles Darwin, but also because this frog is evolutionarily distinct from most other amphibians. Oh, right. Right? Blazed his own trail, is it? It is a split off from all other amphibian lines, and it, it split off around about 55 million years ago, they reckon. As a comparison, evolutionarily speaking, the Darwin frog is as distantly related to their closest relative as whales are to giraffes. Wow. Pretty different. Yeah, because I harpooned a giraffe once and it ended very badly. <laughs> i got nothing. <laughs> Sorry. Something about necks. But that's not the weirdest, most unique thing about the frog. So let me tell you about the Darwin frog and their habit of mouth brooding. 
This sounds a bit emo, but go on. <laughs> so the female frog comes along and she lays up to about 40 eggs uh, on damp dirt and leaves. And she leaves. The male guards those eggs for about three to four weeks until the embryos begin to start wiggling. At which point, the male frog ingests the eggs, so sucks them into his mouth, and he holds them in his vocal sac. You know, the bit that goes... Bit. Yeah. Big old big balloon bulgy thing. throat bit. Holds them in there. And they hatch about three days later. And he continues to carry these tadpoles around in his vocal sac, where they feed off their, like, egg yolks and weird secretions that are produced on the the wall of the the darwin frog's sack until metamorphosis until they turn into little frogs so at that stage it's been about six weeks and then the small little frogs hop out of its mouth and just disperse into the forest so from the frogs that's six stressful weeks don't swallow don't swallow don't swallow don't swallow well zoologists studied the darwin frog because it was believed for a long time that the male would not eat during those six weeks but actually they found beetles and grubs and stuff all the way through getting by all the way through the intestine tract so they were eating at the same time as they were holding these things in their in, in their vocal sac so there you go okay everyone darwin frog course on a three two one end bom 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 colin what, it's supposed to be a nice okay let's try that again everyone bom Bom, bom. Colin, what is going on? What? Yeah, yeah, the problem was I couldn't get a babysitter. So the Darwin frog was once the most common and abundant amphibian in Chile. It was everywhere. Wow. Yeah, and there has been significant population decline, mainly due to habitat loss. A theme is emerging here in terms of our animal friends, and it's not positive. Yes, it, there is certainly a pattern emerging. So zoologists are currently studying the effects of taking that frog out of the ecosystem, because if it was the most abundant, and then you take it out within a few years, like what's the impact on other wildlife? Like how does that? I'm sure there are plenty of other things that relied on that. For it's living for sure anyway in 2020 the darwin frog was officially recognized as critically endangered possibly extinct in the wild oh my lord yeah having not been reported since 1981 i'm gonna hold out hope that they just up their camouflage game a little bit and they just can't find them that um, that's what i'm hoping for but two zoos in chile are not even bothering doing that they are now collaborating on conservation efforts they're going to try and reintroduce them into the wild they have uh captive colonies and they're hoping to sort of continue to breed those and help to stop the decline by reintroducing the darwin frog oh, good luck darwin frog let's do it frog ribble the, the playbook <laughs> oh my lord <laughs> how do you feel about that that was it's a good pun uh just unacceptably poor (laughs) (laughs) okay cats what we've done domesticated animals already we're doing wild cats oh right do you want to know about wild cats i do want to know about wild cats do you want to know about the cod cod uh, the cod cod. Yeah. The cod You're cod, mixing your fish and your animals up again, mate. <laughs> the cod cod. Cod cod. Lepidus mm. guigna. Yeah, it's the smallest wild felid in the Americas. Is it another super cute creature? Super cute creature. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to see a picture? I do want to see a picture. Oh, come on. That shouldn't even be. That's just a house cat, only slightly cuter. Yeah, it definitely looks like a house cat. That's a beautiful little creature. Yeah. Let me guess. Super near to extinction. 
don't jump ahead. <laughs> You've been reading my notes. <laughs> I'm just getting the gist of what's going on, chili-wise. <laughs> uh, so the cod cod rivals only two other species for the title of smallest wild cat in the world. It is a reclusive cat. It has short ears, a stubby tail, it's got marked with sort of black rings around it, and large feet, which zoologists think indicate they use to climb up rocks and trees. Uh, that being said, a study in 2004 revealed that cod cods mainly hunt on the ground, with the cats in southern Chile preying mainly on small mammals like rodents, marsupials, rabbits, birds, lizards, that sort of thing. Unfortunately, they are also preying on poultry, which is a problem because it puts them at odds with the rural communities uh, who are arguing that they are harmful and basically a worthless animal, uh, often killing them basically this, to protect their property. Is this the fox of Chile? It's kind of the fox of Chile, yeah. The cod cod is also facing a danger from attacks by dogs and being run over by vehicles. As such, a conservation plan uh, funded by National Geographic started in 2018 to protect the cod cod. It's carried out by zoologists across several institutions and the goal is to help stop the decline and one major aim is to improve the perception of the cats to local people and basically they're doing that by subsidizing chicken farmers to help build more predator-proof coops yeah it's easy to say you shouldn't kill these animals but if your living relies on chickens and those chickens get killed by a cod cod you can see how you would not Gross find them nearly as cute as we do right <laughs> indeed so yeah so they're helping to sort of help local people uh, they're also aiming to put speed bumps down to stop cars from running over them in I'm areas glad you said that because my first thought was how's a speed bump gonna stop a cat from walking <laughs> Getting a chicken. <laughs> but now I, I'm with you now. <laughs> Have another glass of wine. I know, really. My uh, synapses are firing at all speeds now. Yeah, and they are establishing these wildlife corridors, which are sort of marked off and no one can go there or no one can build on that. And it just allows these cats to sort of travel around Chile uh, without really interacting too closely with humanity. Costanza Napolitano, who is the project director for uh, National Geographic, he said the protection of this cat works like an umbrella because many other species will indirectly benefit from the measures. Yeah, a lot of this is habitat protection, isn't it? It's not protect this, these individual creatures. It's yeah. the space that they live in that's under threat more often than not, isn't it? Absolutely. So let's go from the smallest cat to the largest cat. Ooh. The puma, the Incan word meaning powerful and strong, is the largest wild cat in Chile and the fourth largest in the world. Okay. Yeah, so it's a big old cat. Sportswear aside, the puma doesn't get a lot of attention, does it? You hear about tigers and lions and leopards and mountain Jaguars. lions, but pumas don't get a lot of a lot of press, do they? No. Um, and so they kind of keep to themselves, which is fits their lifestyle because they are solitary and reclusive. Uh, they inhabit mostly mountainous areas and they are super well camouflaged. It's really difficult to see them. They kill their prey, which is mostly deer, and they jump onto the animal's back and they bite it through the neck. Pumas don't roar, like, you know, lions and whatever. They, they give a polite cough or something. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Would you mind awfully if I... <laughs> no, they purr like a house cat. Oh, nice. Yeah. Although less nice if you're, if you're walking along the trail and you're, oh, this sounds like a house cat. Oh, dear. <laughs> this could be problematic. As long as it's not behind you. They grow up to three metres in length. Oh, that's very substantial. And they can weigh anything up to 100 kilograms. Ooh. Not only that, you'd think, well, you know, I'll just hide up a tree or something or up a big rock. Uh, they can jump 18 feet in the air. Ooh, and I can't climb. So if I hid on top of three of me, which would be four of me, if I was the fourth me could still get in, you a in a single bound. pyramid of me's, <laughs> <laughs> it would get me still. 
it can run as fast as 50 miles per hour. So don't even try and outrun it. So fundamentally, you've got to stand your ground and punch it in the nose, right? Pretty much, yeah. Per back at it. To convince it you're also a puma. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Corona. Oh, okay. Go on. Okay. So in March 2020, Santiago City uh, was under total lockdown. And because everybody was off the street, pumas started to be spotted roaming around the streets looking for food. One young male that weighed up to 30 kilograms uh, was spotted in a residential area. And the authorities were called. They tranquilized, captured him, and they released him into the wild two days later. I have to say, if you want to enforce a lockdown, streets filled with pumas seems like an effective way of doing it. <laughs> Avoid the what did we have? Nothing. We could, we could have been deploying tigers and lions and whatnot into our streets, and then everyone would have stayed home, plus got a safari tour at the same time. Safari tour? You spot them from your window. Right. That is safety so. in action. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what is also it's safe, is that whilst the risk of animals spreading the coronavirus to people is low, the virus can spread from people to animals during close contact. So, in December 2021, Buin Zoo, on the outskirts of Santiago, started to worry that their animals might be susceptible to coronavirus. Virus. So they reached out to a health company called Zoetis, and that company donated an experimental vaccine, which they tested on three tigers, three lions, three pumas, and an orangutan. Wow. Oh, Tarquin, have you heard? They want to force us to get vaccinations. Really? Well, that sounds terrific. Oh, wake up, sheep lion. They're infringing our feline rights. Don't they just want us to, you know, not get ill and all that? Oh, do your research, Tarquin. Have you seen what's in those things? No, it's chemicals, Tarquin. It's entirely chemicals. And do you know, the orangutans told me just the other day it's got a chip in it. They want to track us wherever we go. But we don't go anywhere, Cecil. We're in a cage. We're on CCTV, like, all the time. You've got to think outside the cage, Tarquin. They've obviously got an agenda. Oh. Well, I for one am going to refuse to cooperate with the man. This is about freedom, and I am a proud anti-vax cat. Are you with me or not? Well, all right, Cecil, I'm in. No vaccination. Good for you. And no deworming tablets. Or flea powder. I bet they're all packed with chemicals, too. No, that's entirely different. Ugh, Tarquin, don't be such a sceptic-cat. So those are a couple of wildcats that you're probably going to want to be wary of, right? Yes, absolutely. But Chile also has a, a few native animals that you also should be wary of. This is the subject that I call danger. So, top of the list, the long-tailed pygmy rice rat. Not going to feature in my top five, to be honest. So, this is a cute little rodent. It doesn't attack you and it doesn't bite you. What it does do is it carries a unique strain of hantovirus, a disease which starts with like flu-like symptoms. So, you'll get like fever and headaches, uh, stomach pain, 
muscle ache, that sort of thing. But if you leave it untreated because you think, I don't know, I've just got the flu, it can develop into much more serious conditions such as fluid on the lungs and eventually the inability to breathe, followed shortly thereafter by death. Traditionally, that is what happens after the inability to breathe. Considered dangerous, it has a high mortality rate. The hantavirus is found in the rat's droppings and urine, and humans become infected if they handle those droppings or they breathe air that contains those fecal particles. Okay. So in rare cases, humans have caught it. The warning is if you're staying in rural areas, you're going to wash your hands frequently and disinfect anything that comes into contact with rat droppings. That feels like good advice all round. Yeah, don't eat rat droppings. Is a and great wash your hands. Piece of advice. Yeah. <laughs> I just think those are words to live by whether you're in Chile or not. Okay, well, look, the Chilean slender snake. You know, I enjoy a snake. Colebra de cola cota is the most dangerous snake found in Chile. It is venomous and they have rear fangs. They're in its tail. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Sneak up on me! <laughs> no, the fangs are at the back of its mouth. Ah, that seems like poor positioning. It does seem like poor positioning because to inject the venom, the snake has to grab their victim and arrange it at the rear of their mouth before they can then bite down. That's not the experience you expect. It's like, oh, grabbed. Oh, hang on. No, wait. Oh, no. Just pop over this. Way. No, just down a bit. Yeah, take just that. There. <laughs> yeah. So the bite's not fatal to humans. You'll experience pain, but not death. I'd be curious to know how the snake became known as a slender snake because I would argue that slenderness is a characteristic of almost all snakes. Uh, well, I guess so, yeah, unless it's eaten something large. What's so slimming about this snake? <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up on our hit list of dangerous animals of Chile. Let's have it. Okay, it is the rose-coloured tarantula. You know I'm not a fan of the spider, as, yeah. as we discussed during Snake Week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, episode in Benin, you, you were not keen on the, on the spiders. No, um, oh, let's stick with the snakes. Right. Well, look, I'll tell you about it anyway, and we'll just pass by this bit. So, the rose-coloured tarantula is named after its beautiful pink hairs. It's found in the desert wilds of northern Chile. I've got a sort of eight-legged Cindy Lauper in my head. <laughs> yeah, like the 80s sort of punk, <laughs> punk rock. But if cornered, they have like these bristly spines on its abdomen, and it will shoot them towards an attacker as if to say, get out of here. As an ageing man, the thought of flagrantly throwing hair that is precious enough to me these days. I was going to say, I'm not throwing any of mine away. No, you're all right. I'll take the attack. (laughs) My sink gets a lot of attacks. (laughs) Okay. Uh, It does have a venomous bite though. Uh, It's got fangs. It'll bite into you. The venom isn't fatal to humans. You're not going to die if you get bitten by it, but it does have like a range of toxins in it, which is going to cause some issues to you. So I'd advise you don't get bitten by a rose colored tarantula. Was that the doorbell? It sounded like him. All right, let me... I'll just go and see who it is. One second. Could be pizza. I hope it's pizza. It's probably pizza. Okay, so Pete, look who's back. Hey guys. <laughs> so for those uh, regular listeners that heard our episode on Benin, you will know Tom's talking reptiles. Hello. <laughs> You're back again. I can't have a notice. The the guys came last time with a crate fit for a gigantic Nine snake. Nine foot snake. Yeah. <laughs> and yet they are crateless today. Just come to talk to us. No, no. Then. I think you guys brought something with you, didn't you? Uh, yes, we have a Chilean rose tarantula. Starts to hyperventilate a little. <laughs> deep breaths, people, deep breaths. So, her name is Rosie, and Rosie is around seven years old. She seven is, years? Yeah. Oh, so wow. It's uh, still quite young for a female Chilean rose tarantula. The girls, anyway, they live for up to around 20 years. Oh, wow. So I had no idea they went for that long. Yeah. 
Is that uh, common for spiders, though? Spiders, no. Tarant- tarantulas, females, yes. Yes. Okay. Wait. Are spiders not tarantulas? No. no. All tarantulas are spiders, but not all spiders are tarantulas. <laughs> oh, this is getting heavy. <laughs> As zoologists, we should know this. We should learn this. This is important. Yeah. So uh, the main difference between the uh, tarantulas and spiders is the mouth. So with spiders, they have pincers. Tarantulas have fangs. They come over. Oh, oh right. Tarantulas are also covered in thousands of little hairs. Okay. So for these guys, especially the Chilean rose tarantula, her first main form of defense is to try and run, find cover, get out of the way. If you keep bothering it, mm. that's when she'll use the hairs on her abdomen. So she rubs her back legs on them, kicks the hairs up. They then land on your skin, irritate your skin, hoping that's enough for you to go away. If you keep bothering her after that, that's when she'll rear up and she shows you she's got two fangs. Then, she gives you a fighting chance, in fairness. Like, she does, yeah. Look at these, don't make me do it. Uh, if you then put your hand there and get bitten. It's kind of on you, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> she's warned you. She, like, how many warnings do you want? It's right. uh, the same as like a dog. If it's snarling at you, you're not going to put your hand and try and touch it. Don't touch a rearing tarantula in the fangs, is right. what I've learned today. <laughs> it's because her fangs curl under, so she has to sort of like rear up, be able to. They don't retract inside. That's what I imagine. No. But okay, that's kind of cool. And just, I presumably she uses her fangs to kill her prey. Yes, and that's what her venom's designed to do as well. So that's why it's not fatal for a person. She's designed to eat insects. Oh, she right. basically turns it into a smoothie and drinks it. Oh no! Nice. We're massive compared to her, right? So I really shouldn't be as trembly as I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really struggle with spiders in general, but it's it's less the spider; it's the, it's the fast movement, it's the running thing. So tarantulas in general are a lot slower and will yeah. run if they have to. So when spiders run across the floor and they stop, that's them to catch their breath. Oh, really? They can't run and breathe at the same time, so they run, stop, run again. Um, their eyesight's aren't brilliant, especially these guys. And um, for her, she's her whole life pretty much under a burrow so like under a log or a rock she lays a big carpet of web that helps her to hunt uh, the males they have a lot shorter lifespans of about a year and a half three years because wow. she's gonna go through like 20 husbands yeah well she eats a lot of them right <laughs> sort of after business snack <laughs> <laughs> so um and yeah if they can't find a mate they tend to starve because they're out roaming all the time oh wow and the web the web snags the creatures it, and yeah it lets her know where they are because like i said they're virtually blind they're completely deaf they rely on those hairs and the vibrations so when an insect lands on a web so for her it's like a big blanket across the floor right. if an insect lands on it it sends little vibrations to her feet and she knows exactly where it is on that web then she'll run over to the insect if it's too big she will kick it away and release it if not oh. she gets it Injects it in a venom and then eats it. So it's a very tense moment for the insect. Go, Am I big enough? Please yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be too big. <laughs> so I read that the Chilean rose tarantula is now more common as a pet than it is in the wild. Up until a few years ago, you were allowed to import these guys from the wild. And when you could, they were an expensive tarantula. They were a very basic tarantula. Then a ban came in for importation of them. So now the only ones you can get are ones that are born in captivity. But yeah, it stops them from being taken from the wild now. So right. are we on the brink of domesticating tarantulas, essentially? <laughs> yeah, well, she's my pet, so I say she's domesticated. Right. <laughs> uh, should we have a little look at her? Okay, so how do we... She's so, like, chilled that you can okay. literally just go in and so put her up. I Maybe. would never have guessed I would be doing this. She's actually quite... She's, she's very light. You yeah, can't feel her. She's yeah. like a feather. I can just feel the little feet touching my fingers. What, what, what makes her so light? Yeah, she's hollow. 
So she's right. actually incredibly fragile. People think they're this big, scary animal. Yeah. She's not. She's really fragile. If you drop her and she was to break a leg, her blood doesn't clot like ours. So it just sort of keeps pumping. Oh, right. So, so it can be, be careful. A, a fall can be like really fatal for these guys. And that's why, again, they don't like to run unless they feel like they've got no choice. Because if they run off or something. Especially if they're blind yeah. and, and deaf. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bold move, isn't it? <laughs> Running off with no Yeah, it's literally like us turning all the lights off in a room and making you run around in there. Oh, she's quite sweet, really. You've got the spinneret. Is that where the web yeah. business happens? It's amazing, actually, because a lot of people think, oh, it comes out as a silk. Hmm. It comes out as a silk, but it's only when it hits the oxygen. So it sort of sprays out as a liquid oh, and really? the oxygen turns it into a silk. So she'll that's never run out of web. So what's the, she's got a sort of, um, I want to say, blowhole at the top. What's going on there? The little, In the middle? Yeah. So basically, the little cluster of black things at the front are the eyes. So she has eight eyes. Well, she stands really still, doesn't she? I thought she'd kind of want to walk around a bit or something. But Pete, how, how are you feeling? You, you, you seem really calm. I, I'm surprised, actually, that it's not like a... I think it is that non scuttliness really helps. <laughs> Movies make these guys out to be really bad, like, and really scary, but... The Chilean rose tarantula is one of the most chilled out animals I've ever met. I thought I'd be freaking out by now, but... <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, Pete, I, I am very impressed. Well, I, I have a theory that if I were to walk up to something 100 times bigger than me and it went, oh, that's awful, I'd be like, come on, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're massive and I'm tiny. What are, you, what are you worried about? Initially, they'll hang around with mum for a little bit. And then once they're big enough deal with their life themselves they scatter and how big would they be at that point like are they um, still very tiny yeah i mean them? they'll still sit comfortably on a five pence piece oh here we go a little bit of leg movement it's like your hand's quite warm so her foot is touching you going what's that <laughs> what's going on here <laughs> as far as she's concerned she's sitting on a warm rock or a log oh, right she has no idea that she is sitting on a person's hand so rosie's sort of the the size of your palm isn't she yeah i would say so um do they get bigger than that like what, what no, what's the really. largest is, size uh, you i mean expect? this for the chilean rose um is the average size for a chilean rose you're a good size don't you <laughs> <laughs> depending on the trenches some grow with a leg span of a dinner plate like the bed eating trenches are the largest tarantulas in the world how do you feel about that one, Pete? Yeah, I mean, I would have thought I would have been freaked out by this, but actually they're much sweeter than I thought. And I'd say I apologise for having an unfounded <laughs> fear of you, spider. Not spider, tarantula. So, Pete, you fancy a tarantula? I like her, actually. I'm I'm sold. I'm, I'm transformed in my view of the large and previously terrifying, but now actually quite sweet spider. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so stunned by how calm you are about this whole thing. Well, there you go, Pete. As a zoologist, as a professional, in this controlled environment, you have met a, a species just like a zoologist would. So, Pete, there you go. How's your experience? I've got to say, it's really changed my view of the spider. My spider fear is, I don't know if it's diminished in a profound way, but it wasn't not nearly as scary and horrible as I thought it would be. It's uh, quite sweet. You're being quite serious as well. Like, yeah, this absolutely. isn't just for show. You're, you're, you really enjoyed that experience. I thought it? that would be much more terrifying. And actually, it was it was sweet it was nice yeah. i liked it well there you go we're on our adventure still our academic adventure absolutely i feel like the a animal kingdom of chile i'm almost a fully qualified zoologist at this point Do carry on so? oh pretty much i'm sure i could pass the test okay i think the one thing you couldn't pass a test on yet is watery animals no i'm not a, i've not been that aquatic so far so how about we do a section now on aquatic creatures let's do it
So the waters of Chile are home to a bunch of marine species, as you might expect. It's got sperm whales, sea lions, seals, several types of dolphin. The Gulf of Corcovado is a fertile feeding and nursing ground for blue whales. Also, sharks. And according to sharkattackdata.com, there have been six attacks by sharks in the waters of Chile, three of which have been fatal. The first recorded case was on Sunday, 29th of September, 1963, in El Panol, 12 kilometres south of Coquimbo, in the north of the country. Chrysolog Urizar and his friend are on some rocks on the shoreline. They step off into that into the water. It's a beautifully clear and bright day. Chrysolog and his pal, they are sport divers, which means they're out on the Chilean coast for a spot of spearfishing. They're wearing black nylon-lined wetsuits. You can just imagine 60s wetsuits, can't you? <laughs> yeah, the mask that's just the oval. Uh, Round of- <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, yeah, with a yellow weight belt, <laughs> uh, blue swim fins, their mask and snorkel. Chrysalog and his mate dive out into the water. For 45 minutes, they are hunting adult sheephead wrasse and attaching their catches to a stringer on their weight belts. And they're doing well. They have caught a number of fish. But a large fish just beneath Chrysolog catches his attention. And so he signals over to his friend that he's going to go down and spear it. So the friend starts to descend to join him. But just out the corner of his eye, something catches his attention. He turns to face it and instantly recognises the terrifying form of a four-metre white shark. Chrysolog's spear gun trailing from its mouth. Oh. With the shark just three metres away from him, he swims for the surface. There, he finds one of Chrysalog's blue swim fins. He grabs it and he swims as fast as he can back to the shore. There, he climbs out onto one of the rocks and he looks back to the attack site. The shark's dorsal and caudal fins, they're still circling this, like, two-metre blood-stained area of water and a flock of gulls has already been attracted to it. Finally, the shark submerges and it's gone. Two hours later, there's a search of the site and divers reveal no trace of the diver, except his jacket, which is severely gashed and washes ashore the next day. Also the next day, two lines with large hooks are baited with horse meat and they're suspended from two heavy drums at a depth of two metres. The following morning, however, the lines have been torn away and the drums have been heavily battered. See, that's a sad story for the individuals involved. However, if we look at the overall scorecard, humans killed by sharks versus sharks killed by humans, I think we're looking at a heavy loss for the shark population. Yeah, for sure. I've I've read a couple of in instances of divers and surfers who've been bitten by sharks, and I have to say, in fairness to them, more often than not, they say, "Well, you know, this is one of the things that can happen if you go into a shark's home and wiggle about, looking as a, a great deal like a seal." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, fair play to the guys who are in that environment. Oftentimes, they they're perfectly aware that that could happen. Uh, so, and more often than not, they they're more keen than anyone on retaining the maritime environment. That being said, poor old Chrysalog. Yeah, that's can't a, rough... be a Can't be a great way to go out. He died doing what he loved. What, being eaten by a shark? Well, a bit before that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about Rodrigo Oyanaladel. Uh, he is a zoologist in Chile. One of us. <laughs> exactly. And his research is focused on estimating the scale of illegal fishing in Chile. So his results have shown that illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing is one of the most economically important problems to solve for the country. His estimates of illegal catches being two to three times the number of legal catches. Well, presumably with a country that much based on coastline, 
that's a huge coastal population that you've got. It's a huge area. And basically what he's saying in his in his surveys are there's that, that fish stocks are being depleted quickly and it's threatening to get to a point where it's not going to be able to recover. So it's a tricky problem to solve. The exclusive economic zone, the EEZ of Chile, is 1 million square nautical miles, basically. It's the world's 10th largest sea area. And the biggest culprit in illegal fishing within that area is China, who is reported to have approximately 17,000 distant water fishing boats. It's the largest fleet in the world, and it accounts for 30% of all the world's fishing boats. Wow. And because it's distant fishing, they just send them out around the world. It's estimated that 20% of the entire fleet's catch is caught illegally. I mean, how do you tackle a problem like that? That just seems it's across nations. It's in, it's not even in a nation, it's in the sea. Yeah. That's a, a situation. Uh, Oceana, which is uh, the world's largest ocean conservation group, they have documented instances in which some of the Chinese vessels are disabling their tracking devices. And they say that that is a sign and proof that they are conducting illicit activities. Wow. Anyway, it's such a problem that in November 2020, Chile, Colombia, Ecuador and Peru all joined forces to combat the illegal fishing, making a joint statement saying that they would work together to prevent, discourage and jointly confront any attempts to illegally fish. Oh, good on them. Best of luck. And since then, it's become one of the most important jobs for the Chilean Navy to patrol the seas looking for boats who have strayed into their territory. They're not messing around. Uh, Nor should they. Indeed. Which leads us to our final category. We are very nearly zoologists. I'm on the brink of qualification, I can feel it. Right. Extinct animals. Paleozoology. It's a branch of zoology dealing with the recovery and identification of animal remains from geological contexts, which basically means fossils. Paleozoologists use those fossils uh, to try and reconstruct prehistoric environments and ancient ecosystems. Difficult reconstruction position. You haven't got a lot to go on, have you? We've seen some prehistory stuff put before and they're like, here's a tiny fragment of leg. And you go, aha, well, this was about seven metres tall. He had green skin. His name was Colin. It's a Amazing what they do. So, for a long time, it was thought that there were no dinosaurs in Chile. But over the past decade, several major new species have been described. So let's run through some of the bigger discoveries, shall we? I'm keen to hear you trying to pronounce them, so let's go. (laughs) Okay, well, let's start with the first one. Stegorus elangassan. This is the most recent finding, and it's one of the most important in the history of Chilean paleontology. It was discovered by archaeologists digging in the Magallans region. There they found an almost complete skeleton. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is rare. Makes life a lot easier. (laughs) It does. (laughs) It looked like that. (laughs) (laughs) That was two metres, six feet long, including its tail, which is very short. They investigated the animal, and they found it to be 74 million years old. It was herbivorous. It was an armoured dinosaur, which walked on all fours, and it had a heavy club at the end of its tail. Only this one was a new species of that type. It had a flat, frond-like, sort of spiky structure uh, on its tail, like a battle axe, right? So it's a flat with spikes on either side of that, so it would swing its tail from side to side, okay, cutting anything that was kind of in its way. It's similar to, to the weapon that the Aztecs would use. Like the war clubs with the shark tooth on. Exactly that. They called it Stegurus 
elangasin, and that is derived from the Greek word stego, like stegosaurus, meaning roof, and uros, meaning tail. The name elangasin comes from an armoured beast in the mythology of the Tewalchi people. All right. And in December 2021, the science journal Nature published an illustration of the new dinosaur on the front cover of its latest edition. Oh, it's prestigious. It is indeed. Which, of course, we would read as zoologists. Well, absolutely. Okay, I'm going to tell you about another one. Atacama Titan chiliensis. One of my favourites. Yeah, okay. So February 2000, purpose of looking for Mesozoic fossils, Chilean and Brazilian researchers, they head out into the Antofagasta region, and there they discover the fragmentary remains of a giant herbivore from the late Cretaceous period. Based on the size of a vertebrae and a femur, which is pretty much all they found, they discovered that the creature is said to have weighed somewhere between 8 to 16 tonnes. Wow. 16,000 kilograms. That's the paleozoology I'm looking for though though we found an eyebrow and this is what we think it looked like. <laughs> that's more classic paleozoology <laughs> yeah and because of its enormous size they called it atacama titan then there's the chilosaurus diego suarezi who is Diego Suarez, one might ask? Well, let's find out. First discovered on the 4th of February, 2004. Seems like February's a good time to discover in dinosaurs. Fossil season. I guess so. <laughs> Seven-year-old Diego Suarez. He's searching for decorative stones. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, and he finds a rib and a vertebrae of, of a dinosaur. And it dates back to the late Jurassic, 145 million years ago. Researchers start working on it, and they find that it walked on two legs. It had two tiny arms. In life, it would have measured about three and a half meters so ten and a half feet from nose to tail and it had these weird spatula shaped elongated teeth which pointed forwards at like this oblique angle which indicate that it was actually a plant eater spoons for teeth is what i got from that. spoons for teeth <laughs> exactly right <laughs> you would have called it spoons for spoons teethosaurus for teeth exactly yeah <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, adaptations to the shin bone indicated that it evolved over the years to become less used to running. So presumably less predators around. And the dinosaur was called Chilosaurus Diego Suarezi after the boy who found him. Oh, that's nice. That's a sweet story. So there you go. We're going to end it on a sweet story. That is our journey through zoology in Chile during 1945 to 2022. That was an excellent work, my friend. That was fascinating, broad-ranging, interesting. And now I have a qualification in zoology that I'm going to tell people I have. Add it to your CV. <laughs> Chilean zoology. <laughs> R us. Well, no, that was terrific stuff. I found that very interesting and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I've learned that I'm no longer afraid of spiders. <laughs> So, Peter, you know what time it is? Is it that time? It's definitely the time. All right. So I'm going to crank it open. Here we go. I'm going to turn it on. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. Your country is Gambia. Oh. Are you okay, okay. with that? I'm, Well, I've, everything hinges on the time period Okay. a place like that. Well, the time period is 1300 to 1400. Oh. Is that sweat on your brow? A little bit, yeah. A little, <laughs> okay. just a couple of pinpricks of sweat coming out. But, but it's, it'll be fine. It'll be an easy topic, topic I hope. Make it super easy. Okay, and your topic is making a breakthrough. Yes. Making a breakthrough in Gambia during 1300 to 1400. Let's see what we find. Godspeed.
Okay, so uh, yeah, Gambia. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to shake that off. This is a problem for tomorrow. <laughs> right now, it's about celebrating your success and the fact that I had a great episode. I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much, Ryan. Uh, my absolute pleasure. And that is our show for this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch about any of the things we've talked about on the show, or if you just want to say hello, do reach out to us through our website at hhepodcast.com or email Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. Yeah, we absolutely would love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. You will feature for sure if you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That is because recommendations on Apple Podcasts in particular really help bring new listeners to the show. They do. And if you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or any of the social media, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe to those, you're going to get an alert every time we post one of our little one-minute animated HHE bites. As ever, we'll be back again soon with the verdict. But until then, a massive thank you to Ryan. Well, thank you. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... History Happened Everywhere. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Pete. Have you, have you got gloves on? Yeah, yeah, I've got gloves on, yeah. And, um, is that a scarf? Yeah, yeah, it's nice and warm. But it's like 100 degrees in here. Yeah, I know. I put the heating up before you got here. And, and earmuffs? Yeah. On top of headphones? Yeah, on top of the headphones, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to keep my head warm. I, I don't get it. I've got thermals on too. But it's so hot in here. Yeah, I know. It's good, isn't it? Hot water bottle. I, I've got a spare. Oh, come on, man. It's a million degrees in here. And you're wearing a scarf, gloves, earmuffs and headphones? Yeah, yeah. And thermals. And thermals? Yeah, that's right. And, and what have you done that for? It's for the podcast, isn't it? What do you mean it's for the podcast? It's the theme of the podcast. How is it the theme of the podcast? Well, it's chilly, isn't it? This is a spider. I'm going to kill you. <laughs>